3: And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.
2: From 2400 Sports,
0: Odyssey, and Major League Baseball, this is the PBP Voices of Baseball. We bring you the people who bring you the game.
1: Welcome into the PBP Voices of Baseball. Anybody out there listening for the first time? Well, welcome. This is an interesting one to start with, but here you are. Um, I'm Matt Spiegel, and the first thing I ever wanted to be was a play-by-play guy. And now here in my 50s, I've unexpectedly gotten a shot. I've done 12 innings of MLB regular season PBP over the last three years. It's a long story. Listen to episode one. But I became fascinated with the job and the craft, and I've pushed that energy into this podcast series, where I ask the very best to ever do it, how and why they do it. So this is a love letter to the craft of baseball play-by-play. It's also a teaching tool and hopefully a vessel for meaningful baseball-adjacent conversation. The twist came on the 23rd of July, when Pat Hughes, a previous guest on the show, went into baseball's Hall of Fame, and I got the chance to do three games as the full-time play-by-play person. I'm still processing the three days of immersion into the actual job, and frankly, as a multi-level baseball person, which is a ridiculous nom de plume that I threw on myself five years ago. And um, my day job showmates at Parkins and Spiegel on the score won't let me forget it. And now I actually kind of like it. So frankly, as a multi-level baseball person, I feel changed forever that I, that I, I actually did the thing for three days. So Jason Benetti, the White Sox TV voice, one of the best in the business, jokingly volunteered to come back on this podcast. We had a great episode with him. I think it was episode two. Um, But he jokingly jokingly volunteered to come on after I'd finally done it. And I took him up on it because I adore this man and the way he thinks about play by play, the way he thinks about baseball, art, creativity, performing and life so thank you for jokingly volunteering and i accept and congratulations on being the guest to help me process what the hell just happened so hey jason i i did the thing i did the thing for like the first real time it's it's unbelievable i uh I now can say that I actually did the thing three days in a row. I never really knew what the thing was, did I? Every other time that we talked about it, I never really understood what it was.
2: I'm fascinated. So I want to know how you felt in inning number six in game one.
1: Um, Inning six in game one. See, you know what's weird? I think I was pretty damn comfortable in inning one of game one and it freaked me out like should <laughs> t- be, be told like the two hours before it I was like i I think I'm ready that's weird and I was joking with elise Meniker. i was like I'm scheduling my freak out for 12 15. I'm gonna go ahead and schedule that because apparently it's not coming and I need to make sure I get that out of the way you know um so i I think by by the sixth inning I was like trying to maintain calm, because there's so much going on, right? It's it's the sound of calm when there's all the context and all the excitement, because I had good ball games, I had a good ball game. Yeah. So maintaining the calm sound despite everything going in is probably what my focus was on.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, time and tempo and all of that, I think, ends up running together in your mind when you haven't done a bunch of games in a row. It's like, I I almost felt early on, like, what am I focusing on? Like, what did you find yourself focusing on most?
1: Um, Word choices in the moments that I'm calling the games. Like, that was the thing that was in the back of my head as I was kind of just doing the broadcasting, doing the live reads, doing the chatter, setting the scene. I was like, boy, am I going to get some of those word choices right Um, will I get some of the interesting synonyms that I wrote down in, or will I just say the same crap every single time? Because that's the stuff I haven't done enough.
2: This is, this for me is like when a friend texts me and says they haven't seen Breaking Bad and they just watched the first episode. I love this because like, I think there are some themes to people starting, you know, like, uh. Uh, the, the first time doing a ton of it I think there are some themes to it I'm fascinated like uh because you are such a creative person I wonder whether or not next time you do that it helps to have words in front of you and i, I did the same thing that you're describing i like installed words in my mind when I was in college and like doing minor league baseball for the first time and all that stuff. And I wonder if that's necessary or if you just let your brain work and say, I'm seeing what I'm seeing. I trust it. I wonder if you need that foundation. I think you do. But I just wonder if it's true. I don't trust it yet. I I, I, I don't trust myself yet. And it's so weird because
1: as a as a broadcaster, I trust myself in a million ways. But but I, I, I I trust my eyes of what I think I'm seeing off the bat, but I don't trust my, my mouth to, to do that work. Like um, last week on this show, Johnny Dasko, who just got the Oakland A's gig um, after what, after 4,000 games in the minors, you know, was, was saying, I think you need 500 games. He said, I think you need 500 games before you can really trust yourself. And I'm like, all right, well, I got three. Here we go. All right. Um, but it's uh, yeah. So it's I, I, I don't I don't trust that part of it. But it, it, you, you're so interesting to me because you have the personality that I know a lot of young broadcasters are trying to get comfortable showing. So did you struggle to show that personality in the way that I right now am struggling to show the technical um,
2: comfort? Yeah, you and I you and I are flipped. I learned the technique first by far, and I would get feedback from people like, it It sounds like you're not even working with a partner, it's not exciting enough, it's not emotional enough, it's not, um, You're the first thing people said to me and where you and I overlap is, yeah, we know you have a good vocabulary. You don't have to force it. Like you don't have to use all of these words, it's more about the holistic process of it. And I had uh, the, the guy who does the jazz on radio, David Locke. Uh, I did stats for him. He was doing the Seattle storm. I did sets uh, stats for him for a sky game. And he told me that day, he was like, there is one day that you were gonna stop thinking about this and you're just gonna do it. And I said, oh. that's never, ever, ever going to happen. <laughs> and I just had somebody in the booth that I hadn't seen for a couple of years, hadn't seen me do a game for a couple of years in Seattle. Uh, last month. And this person said to me, like, it just seems like you're not thinking. And I was like, damn, if David Locke wasn't right. And, and it's funny because that's where I was is like, there's so there, you only have so much Ram and I think you'll be able to vibe with this. It's not that it's moving fast. It's that you get really locked in on one thing or two things and you don't see the broad picture of the game like everything you're doing you're really honed in on to me when you're when you're doing your first batch of games in a row you're really locked in on stuff but then you don't see this whole picture that you see when there's some clarity later like the way you feel about navigating a talk show or a podcast or asking people questions you see all those details and it's just a matter of trusting yourself based on experience but also taking what you do for a living and porting it into this and maybe speeding up the development process because you have a foundation in the other stuff
1: yeah um that makes sense um i want to uh i want to play some clips for you um because i found myself thinking about you i mean like the, the odd good fortune and then it became by design of seeking out advice from people i like who do it well is remarkable because i had moments of thinking all right joe davis told me this and it's really good or joe buck told me this and it's really good or len casper like and i can say what those specifics are along the way it's like it's so interesting but you i, I remember one time early on i played a home run call that i had made and you were like man yeah you got to get excited home runs are a big deal right so um these are not home runs but these are the ends of games um this is cubs won all three games that i did here's the end of game one cubs and cardinals as called by me this past weekend the game is at home plate where tyler o'neill is one for three with a walk He hits that one in the air towards Cody Bellinger. Bellinger comes in, secures it, and the Cubs win. An exciting, hectic ninth inning for an exciting game. The Cubs get four in the bottom of the third, and the bullpen somehow makes it hold up. Four-three, your final at Wrigley Field. Like, that's, that's relief. That's
2: not excitement, isn't it? Yeah, but but on the catch, you were getting there. It's different than the home run you played for me before. No, I'm big on these incremental things because it's – you and I both have a wit that sometimes borders on sardonic or rye and almost like we talk in asides. I think when you're doing play-by-play, people want really definitive – uh-huh. They, want, they want like this is the end of the call and not for highlight purposes, but because uh, you'll hear sometimes when I don't respond to my analyst who's sitting next to me. It's because I want their words to hang in the ether for a moment because I think they're really powerful. There's a law and order episode. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this to you. I hope not. There's a Law & Order episode where Jack McCoy is prosecuting somebody from a gun company because they've manufactured an automatic weapon that was used in some crime. And he wants to show that if that wasn't an automatic weapon, only one person would have died. So he takes this whole like Tupperware container full of bullets and dumps them out on the floor of the courtroom. And the sound is just sitting there for the jury. And he says nothing, but the reverberation from the Hollywood folks who created the scene hangs there, just aloft, right? I think sometimes, you went right to the second sentence after the final call. I think sometimes we really just wanted to sit there and mm-hmm. like, hey, here's the line. Here's the second line. That half yeah. second really changes the experience for the audience, I would say.
1: That that makes a ton of sense. Uh, you're right about the sardonic or like the levels, because I'm definitely thinking of the relief. I'm thinking of all the storylines. But, it it, but people do want definitive at a moment like that. Um, so I'm thinking of you, and I'm thinking, I got to make this bigger. This should be bigger. By game three, they win their third in a row. And here's the final call from uh, me doing game three. Javier Assad the young right hander throws the two two now to Jordan Walker it's a strike called strike three Miguel Amaya congratulates the home plate umpire in an excellent call then congratulates his teammate Javier Assad for a job well done the Cubs finish off the Cardinals on a Sunday afternoon by the score of seven two.
2: It's they're both there, like the seven to two, you hit really well, like that is play by playish, is what, you know, people talk about hitter ish like that's play yeah. by play ish. But I really do like the idea of the sequence of congratulating the umpire on the call and then congratulating his teammate. I just think the tone matters when it sounds a little bit like it's like a snarky sort of a, like, let that just play that straight is what I would say. Like, play it like it actually was a fact, because people will understand what you're saying. Like, if you if you tonally say something very sarcastic, but play it straight, it won't be dripping with like slight offense, I guess I would say.
0: (laughs) But I love this.
2: Like I've never really thought about that on radio. I don't think I've heard a lot of people do that in that way. But the catchers do that. Right. And so I I like the detail a lot. Like that's that's why I'm excited about you doing this is because your eye for detail and creativity is great. It's just a matter of making it more play by play ish.
1: This is super helpful um, because play by play ish or hitter ish is just is just cleaner and let people take what they want from the very facts that you're giving, as opposed to trying to add wisdom or context or opinion to it as it's happening
2: well and and I would say this sometimes you have to land an OO fastball sometimes it's just like strike one bang yep that's it not everything has to be a hook like when you're creating segments on the radio you always have to have a hook like what am I doing with this news where am I going with it what am I doing right. with this this right. like race if so loquiter, the thing speaks for itself right like just Strike one. Sometimes it's OK to have strike one and just play yeah. it straight. And somebody wants to call you boring. They can call you boring for those 15 seconds. But I, I just think about it as like changing the eye level of the batter. Like if, if it's all wry, if it's all sarcastic, if it's all witty, I think it really blends in. And some people I know who are Sox fans who don't like my sense of humor are like, yeah, maybe listen to yourself every once in a while. It doesn't all have to be a joke. <laughs> <laughs> but, like that's the alarm that you have to have, I think.
1: Yeah I, I, well I, I hear those different tools in your in your box that, that you use during, during the game and now that you're saying it, like I, I love your humor and know your humor. but I hear you just serving the game and I think you really have to think about it on point to do it because your default is to, is to bring the humor and bring the personality.
2: Right. And I, and I do think this whole thing is like a very sonic experience. I very much think it's an auditory thing, even TV play by play. I think it matters how you sound, what your tone is and how your tone manipulates the definition of the words. Like, I think most of what I will say to you and however long we go is just gonna be like, really land the tone of the plane here. Like, make sure that what you're saying has the gravitas if you want it to have gravitas, because know your default, like you just said about me, know your default. If your default is like a sides or a little bit of a jab or like a sarcastic, just, it feels really good to play it straight. Yeah, you know, I think
1: my default is, can you believe this? Like, like, oh my God, like, are you checking? The, are you seeing all this? Are you feeling all this? Am I getting all this to you? Like, that's my default perspective um, as opposed to just delivering. Now, it's, it's, it's a good lesson. Let me see if I hear it. And if you hear it in this, this is uh, Cody Bellinger on fire all weekend long with the bases loaded. Here comes the two, two to Cody Bellinger with the bases fully Hits that Let's go. On the Right side coming in to score is Talkman. behind him is Horner he'll score sliding into third is Ian Happ Cody Bellinger with a two-run single and the Cubs now lead this one by the score of seven to six Wrigley is a madhouse
2: that was fun yeah that's that's more of it right but the one thing I would say is you hear yourself wanting to right after the score go to the next thing like We all want to just jump a little bit to the next thing when we haven't done a million games. And when you just laid out there after it's a madhouse, that's that's great. That's great. That's you landed the plane at all times there. My one technical quibble is I trained myself a while ago just so I never paint myself into a corner. You'll rarely, if ever, hear me say coming home is blank. Because if I don't have the name, if I say coming home is and I don't remember who it is, I am screwed. So hmm. I try to make sure at all times to go person, then action, because ah. number one, that's how we talk more. But number two, if we don't, we end up at some point over 100 calls saying coming home is Bellinger in the throat of the blank. Like I, I just don't have the time for that. So I'd rather pause a little bit, get the name, have him coming around and then finish the call.
1: That's the um, that's the master's level stuff that I will need if I get a chance to do this some more is exactly that. So that makes all the sense in the world. Lead with the name. That way you force yourself to remember the name. And it also sounds great and sounds more. um, it, It has more flow to it. I had a moment in game one where i said and that is hit over to the third baseman and it's while i was looking down to get jose fermin's name because he was a third today was at second the day before and i didn't know him more than two days before i started prepping anyway you know so at that point if i don't have fermin hit over towards what do you do if you don't have if you realize in
2: that moment you don't have fermin's name what do you do swinging a line drive to third and a jumping grab over there for mean with a beautiful play. And while I'm saying like jumping grab, I'm looking down to make sure that I get the name, but I'm not going to say is blank. Like if I say that I end up in a match game scenario and I have no black marker and card in front of me. So I have to, I, I, when, when a ball goes into the outfield, when I pause, if I don't 100% know the player, I'm just going to take it from my scorebook very quickly and then turn back to the action because I have the monitor right in front of me. I need the name first or else I'm going to paint myself at some point into that same corner. You're not you're not an idiot for doing it. You just don't have like a systematic top down sort of way for saying like, okay, no, no, no. Here's the rule. This happens. I do this.
1: Yeah, this the the systematic semantics of that will uh, of doing it the way that you're describing, as opposed to setting up something I have to have the answer for when I might not have the answer. Um, that that's excellent. Um, all right, Miles Mastroboni, uh, no home runs in his career, so he caught me off guard. I think the listeners too. So maybe this plays, but I was certainly caught off guard. <laughs> The 3-1 to Miles is hit hard towards right center. Very hard. So hard that it's gone. Jordan Walker went back but didn't have a chance. Miles Mastroboni takes a 3-1 pitch from Jack Flaherty and sends it out of here. This game
2: tied at one in the third. So hard. So hard. hard. How hard was it? I can't (laughs) believe I mentioned match game. (laughs) like but but you know i look we i think part of what you said is exactly right like the audience is surprised by that too now the the one technical detail that i would say and then the one personality thing beyond that i would just say like in the air more you know like swinging a long drive like high in the air whatever the trajectory looks like i think that helps us know Whether or not we're in peril here. Like, I think when the ball gets hit, we want a danger meter as an audience very quickly. Like, how dangerous is this? How likely is this to elate me? Where am I on that scale? And so, when somebody, like, when I misjudge a fly ball, I know I'm gonna hear about it on Twitter because I didn't sell it well enough because everybody's like, well, I didn't know. You know, there's this jump in your heartbeat when a ball gets hit and you want to know exactly where the, you know, from blue to red, I guess we are. Um, but the other thing I would say is smiling is a very effective weapon in conversation, but I don't think smiling is an extremely effective weapon in big moments, because I think that takes away from the gravitas of it. I I tend to hear laughing slash smiling uh, more in people who haven't done it a lot than people who have done it a lot. And it's the sense of wonder that is effective, but if you overdo it, it seems like you're not, um, you haven't seen something like this before, which I think sells out your level of capability to your experience relatively. So Mm. I would say like, again, this is another moment where I'm like, you know what, next time you do an inning, just like play it straight and see what your voice can do. Like just just like hit a moment and see how play by play is it gets. I'm not telling you not to be you, but like just just hit it with like the biggest mallet to a gong you have and see what it sounds like.
1: Wow, it's great um, because I think you probably have more. Uh, personality and possibilities for humor and possibilities to add layers to stuff than anybody I know um, in, in the business. So it's, it's self-aware on your part to offer this theme of, uh, of advice. And I totally get it because while I'm smiling and appreciating and being like, I'm here for Mastro Boney home ring, can you believe we're here for this? That's underselling the excellence of him just hitting a damn home run. Good for him good for the cubs good for the fans that's
0: great
2: yeah i think but you can have great without being stunned uh, not stunned right and it's not even unprepared it's just like the wow factor comes out in the thing itself and if you overdo the wow factor with laughing i think it's it's like discomfort i think it belies discomfort
0: There
1: is, Jason Benetti, an interesting place to get as you are a practitioner of maybe anything, but certainly of this. While um, I notice some of the um, kind of perhaps old boys club or old guard feelings uh, of coming out of like, well, you haven't you haven't really done enough, kid. You haven't really paid your dues, that kind of thing. I, I, I don't want to give that power. But at the same time, you don't know this because you haven't done it is something I 1000% want to give the power. And I, as a person who gives a crap and wants to be good, I'm desperate for it. I'm like looking around for people to talk about it. And I'm sure that you have encountered like it's, it's just a human thing, certain people who can give you that. And certain people who might be able to give you that, but don't want to because they don't want you. I, I don't know what it, what their what their motivations are, but it's a fascinating interpersonal dynamic to this that I bet you have experienced.
2: Yeah, I've had a lot of people really want to help, um, and, and I I just tend to feel based on that experience that the people who are honest we know give the best advice but i would go a step further and say you have to take the emotion out of your own development uh it can't really be like i'm bad i'm good that doesn't do anything for you it has to be like did i fix this today did i do this differently today and if it's not that i think you're getting into your own feelings more than you need to it's a very logical process to, to just say, hey, I don't feel good because I didn't do this well yesterday, but it doesn't matter. Like, go do it better the next day. And that's where, if you really use minor league baseball experience or, you know, like 10 games here and there or whatever it is, if you use them to the best of their capability, you just pile a bunch of, I got better at a little thing again today. And yeah. it's not at all about whether or not you're good. I mean, that that's the part where, You know, as a perfectionist, it was problematic for me because I never wanted to make that mistake. Somebody would think I'm an idiot, you know, because of my physical characteristics. And so I'd be really hard on myself when I made mistakes and I was thinking about it all wrong. It's just about creating processes for yourself that all pile up and then you create something better. And, you know, that emotion that comes between people and I don't kind of want to help you or, you know, I do, but, you know, you need to do more games, whatever. It's not about a total amount of games. It's about what you do with those games for me. And I think some people, Like want to say the reason they're there is because they did a million minor league games or the reason they're there is because they knew this person or because they nailed the interview or whatever. If the work's good, you're going to get a job and you're going to keep the job like that's the end of it
1: so i hope that uh, the young broadcasters who do listen to this pod heard all of that and and took it all in because it's it, it's powerful stuff to remove the emotional noise you know like uh, i love the four agreements by don miguel ruiz and it's this book full of toltec wisdom but one of the agreements is don't take anything personally and when i can live in that space it is so powerful because Whatever attitude or tone that other people might give you, it's usually about them and whatever they're working out or not working out. So just take what you can from it and just try to get better every day is uh, is, is a good healthy way to live. Um, I want to ask you what, um, what you well, what you find most addictive about play by play because I've found, a couple of things really, really addictive that made me have the feeling like when I woke up on the day after doing three games, I was like, all right, when's my ball game today?
2: Like, when is so what game? are your first? What are yours? Because I'm fascinated about where your head went.
1: Um, all right. So one of them was feeling like a superconductor in a, in a in an electrically charged moment in the game. I happen to have a good game. Happened to have 40,000 people, Cubs and Cardinals. Um, and so I had that, but in the backdrop of it was all the context I'd, I'd learned, all the things I'd known, all of it. And I just felt like all of it pulsing through me. And then I was just trying to channel it and spit it into the microphone for people. Like that felt, it was the same thing as being a front man on a stage for a 20-piece band with a sold-out crowd. It was exactly the same sensation for me anyway.
2: It was always so exactly the same.
1: I it it was exactly the same because when I'm the front man, when I'm singing, when I'm when I'm doing Mick Jagger, and we're doing the Stones or whatever, it's like, like I I feel like I have to embody the entire experience for everybody in the room, and for me personally, I think that was the commonality for me.
2: Oh, that's that's interesting that it was the same because I I've I've not really talked to a lot of people other than Lan who are performers in other ways outside of play-by-play. And I've always been fascinated by actors, especially comedians. And I wonder if that's all the same. But interesting, as a front man, you felt that electricity and like almost a demand on your soul. (laughs) Yes. Um,
1: But mixed in with the gratitude. Because when I'm a front man singing... It might be, oh man, listen to that horn section. Those are my guys. Those are my guys. Look what we do. Look what we put together. You know, um, when I see the crowd happy, I'm like, look what we're able to do. Like it's, so. It's all that, you know. I, I like I feel like the stage is mine and the crowd is mine. And in the, it, you know, and I know there's a massive ego to that, but so it's like accepting that ego as a part of it and embracing the moment and not shying away from it.
2: No, you, you have to have an ego to go perform like like we do any like anybody does. You have to believe you're good at it. That's that's like rule number one for me. But the thing that excites me most and it has changed over the course of time, the thing that excites me most. And this is why the Peacock Games were marvelous, is getting to do all of that with a partner. That's why TV appeals to me on radio. It's can i find that little description that i think really sells the moment can i find that little detail but to get to go on the air with Stony, with all those partners i did games with at peacock with gordon with brock heward with bill raftery with walton with every, it's all different and i will never be somebody who like does improv writ large, I think because of my physical characteristics and my lack of training, take your pick. But I do think for somebody who grew up with comedy and with that special feeling that you get when somebody lands a joke uh, or somebody lands something that hits you in the heart. That's why I love doing it. And and also the other component that has come to me in the past couple of years after 2020 is just how much it means to people, how much those moments always will sit in people's minds, how much I still have in the back of my mind of inside jokes from Sox games with my friends from high school. We never can lose those we never even if we wanted to we can't lose those moments and so to know that this stuff matters so much to people and it matters to the fabric of people's families whether you and i agree with that and feel like more money should be spent on education or whatever you want to say about our structure of how important sports are when Seiya suzuki robs yohan moncada and there are stunned fractured silences in Sox fans' faces, that matters. Like, they were about to be like, oh, we got this. And things changed very quickly. You know, in 2020, when people were sending me those notes to read on Twitter, I mean, there was heavy stuff. It was like my dad and I went to games forever. When I just tweeted last night as we taped this about Giolito's no-hitter, I got a bunch of, it was the last big moments I saw with my dad. I got like three or four of those last night in the replies. This stuff matters. Like you're you're hitting people in the heart every night. That I I don't know where you can have that kind of impact in society.
1: That's that, that's beautiful, um, and I love that. That's what connects you to it and makes you feel um, that thirst to do it. You know, it's so interesting as as, we, as as we've talked about coming to this from the different places, like. Some of what you're talking about, be it the live improv with people or the connecting to people and having them tell you, I've been lucky to have as a talk show host, you know, like, like, so that part of it, that part of it, I I haven't even allowed myself to consider in a play by play sense because I haven't, I mean, imagine having that relationship that you have with listeners or that Pat Hughes, who I'm filling in for as with listeners where it does matter and it's heavy stuff, I hadn't even I, I, I you know my 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 uh, my little taste has given me access to things that my ego really has always wanted. and it's kind of it's it's kind of it's shameless admission time. All right, so one shameless admission is how much I loved feeling like the front man, okay? yeah and shameless shameless admission too is something else you're probably used to. The proximity to the realness of the information and the realness of the people, like sitting in on the manager's offices meetings, I had never done that. And doing that two days in a row, oh, the broadcast team gets to go in and sit with the manager. And he will tell you what he thinks about stuff and what he thinks the front office is thinking about stuff. And they trust you to know that stuff and not share it because you're considered part of the team. That is a closeness and a realness that I don't think I realized Took place every day
2: no i i look that is by far the best part of the job and it's why i was so vocal on your radio program about not traveling a couple years ago because it changes the job and and hearing you say that it affirms for me how much it changes the job and i i would bet that it almost it doesn't change how honest you are with your fans on your talk show but it does change your opinion of the people. It changes your opinion of the information and it changes your opinion of how much people know. Uh, You know, sometimes it's like, well, why didn't he do this? Why didn't he do that? And typically, I'll go into pedro's office he's got all those reasons checked he just decided on something else because of something that folks might not have thought of and that's not saying yeah. you know he's the smartest person in the room or holds himself out as that that's what i'm saying like he's a really really sharp guy but he doesn't you know say well i did this because it's like hey here's what i thought through i think it's interesting to do this but i had this piece of information and it's like wow there is a lot more that goes into this than we ever would have known not being in there.
1: Yeah, and, um, and, and I mean, it, it, so, so the, the ability to get smarter about it, right? Because we're all curious about it and passionate about it. Mm-hmm. I felt so much smarter after those conversations and just make, it makes you a better broadcaster, doesn't it? To have that knowledge in that context.
2: Yeah, and it just it makes you a more um, holistic comprehender of baseball, I guess, you know, because every manager sees facts and then knowing their personalities and like, you know, knowing a specific player, whether it's Tim Anderson or somebody that I've known for a long time. I kind of have a feel for whether or not they're going to have a good game that game. I kind of have a feel for whether or not they're in the right place. And sometimes they buck the trend. But that stuff also, uh, you know, to the more uh, holistic point of this show, that stuff gets you out of your own head and your own feelings and your own. I'm getting better at this. And it makes you somebody who's examining the entire field. And the entire range of decisions and we are all at our best as play by play announcers when we're not thinking about ourselves and our own development at all when you can trust the process in your mind that you're just going to get better at this because you thought about it before the game and it's just going to be like okay I'm making that tweak today now who's going to hit the sinker that that's when you're in the best place.
1: Yeah. And that's why that's why I personally have a long way to go before I can get to the comfort level it takes to be that empathetic as a broadcaster. And for young broadcasters, you got to it take, takes takes a while to get there because you got to get to that comfort spot that you're talking about to really be open to everything and the stories that are happening
2: in front of you. But I would say it doesn't have to take temporally a long time. It just has to take thinking process a while like you you just need to think about it a lot and yes you need the reps you need reps but there's not a number like you you can get better at it tomorrow if you surgically pick something you're getting better at so i i do bristle when i hear people say like "Ah, it's going to take me a while well I don't know how long we all have on earth. You know, like I, you might as well just get better tomorrow and then see how much better you are. And then say like, eh, it only took six months. I thought it was going to take five years. Yeah. I don't
1: know. Well, I mean, to your point, like last week before I did the games, I did nine innings at the kitchen table twice and I got Good. a lot better. I got a lot better each time I did it and I got more comfortable um, at the kitchen table. And if I had done it three times, I might've been even better. Right. So it's like, you can create those mental reps um for for yourself uh, uh, along the way um uh, was right, uh no christine christine was my wife was and she was she was not very good i think i called her coom at one point um she didn't <laughs> like that she kind of she kind of went in the tank she get like went in the tank psychologically the best was uh me and christine um at gallagher way after the third game having a drink i'm finally done so we're sitting there having a drink and somebody comes up and says to us they say you guys were great all weekend long you were great clearly thinking that my wife was elise meneker and christine to her credit just said thank you so much thank you we had a great time she totally took it and just ran with it um so uh All right, so what do you do if you realize you messed up something horrific uh, or just something terribly and you don't even know? Uh, Listen to my dead air as Gary Matthews Sr. knows what I called him by accident. Full count pitch is hit hard at shortstop. Paul DeYoung will get it, throw across the diamond. Amaya is out and so are the Cubs. Gary Matthews Jr. will have the seventh inning stretch when we get there. Thank you, Sarge. What a pleasure.
3: Uh, I've been called worse.
1: (laughs) It is 4-1 Cubs over the Cardinals on the score in the Xfinity Cubs radio network. I knew I'd done something wrong, but I didn't realize what it was. That's Gary Matthews Sr., not Jr., and he he points it out that he's been called worse. I thought he meant that, like, calling him a pleasure was bad, but anyway, I was completely clueless and helpless, and it's sad, and I played it for you.
2: Yeah, I like it. I like it. It's a great... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know what the, I, I know the feeling. I have done it before. It's a RAM thing. Like I, I hate to sound like a play by play bot, but it's a total RAM thing. It's like you the stuff you th- the stuff you think you can take for granted is the stuff that you have to go slow into. Like on radio, making sure that you look at the scoreboard before you say the score and in inning is huge. Because you're using so much that the guy next to you, his name is the thing that likely is going to elude you. You you think it's going to be easy, and you're rushing because you're in this state of uh, mental acceleration, and then you just blow the thing that's so easy. So I have gotten to the point where when I do radio for Westwood One for the tournament for the NCAA men's basketball tournament uh, normally in March. I I really pause, look at the scoreboard and go fifty-two fifty Arkansas seven fifty-two to go. I read it directly off the scoreboard and I put brackets around it because I know my brain isn't trained all year to do this thing. I have to make the easy thing land because that's the stuff that you're going to miss most because you're not spending time on it. And you're so underwater with everything else that I'm laughing because I know the feeling like if this was my third game ever and you were in the booth, I would call you the name of my college roommate, David Spiegel. Like that—that that would happen. That's the kind of stuff you just get so sped up. When I have booth guests with the socks, even that I don't know personally, I keep a sheet in front of me with their name, and I go very slowly into their name because I have too much else going on to memorize something that I don't know.
1: Yeah, no, that makes all—it makes all the sense in the world. Um, All right, Jason Bonetti, you have been uh, so generous with your time after you jokingly volunteered for this position of coming back (laughs) a second time. And I I congratulated you on the on on the volunteering. I thought that was very brave of you. I got to say, um, I woke up today to the news that Lucas Giolito had been traded and I was sad and I realize that i'm sad because i admire the guy so much and admire his whole career and all the development that's gone on and i've talked about that a lot but last time you and i you were on here we talked about that no hitter during the pandemic and just what a special moment was it was and a lot of it was because of what a guy lucas giolito is so i guess just sort of as an emblem for all the relationships that i know you care about and you try to make with these players it's it's rough when someone you like moves on. I must imagine.
2: Yeah, I, you know, it's um, it's something unpredictable. But in the end, it's right. I hope you had the time of your life. Um, in that sort of vein, I will always appreciate Lucas Giolito and James McCann as well for that night in 2020. Because everybody who's gotten to do a no hitter has gotten to do a first no hitter. And they are memorable for whatever reason. Maybe your first no-hitter you've called was a perfect game in the big leagues or something like that. But for Lucas and James and everybody at home, there was nobody in the ballpark. And I, I could not think of anybody better than Lucas Giolito to bring that to people because he literally sits on his headset and plays video games with people from around the country. Like he plays Rocket League online and then people join in because he's funny to watch play video games when he was playing MLB the show in that league. And I was like doing play by play of those games. He brought a human connection to me and we brought it to everybody else. And he is always the type of person who has that soul that like he just wants to make stuff better for everybody else. And his lasting memory, I wish was a world series win or championship or whatever it might be. But the lasting memory that he brought to White Sox fans for me was in a year where we couldn't be around people, everybody right after the last dance, right? Not long after the last dance was finished and we all got together on those Sunday nights, he brought, a thing that we could watch with our friends over and over again that gave us hope. And I will always appreciate that from him.
1: Jason, thank you so much. And uh, appreciate your, your willingness uh, to help the young broadcasters of the world and the middle-aged broadcasters of the world.
2: Appreciate <laughs> that, that it's, uh, it's, here's the thing. Play-by-play is this wonderful craft that is sort of like in its own little corner of the world. But when you dive into it, the mental processes are so advanced and there's so much to think about. And you can do it in a really basic way. But what fun is that? It's like eating at a chain restaurant every night. I can't do that.
1: No, it's uh, there's so much. There's so many levels to it. And I'm, I'm thrilled to be uh a, a a beginning practitioner as I am an expert uh curiosity diver. You know what I mean? That's what I'm good at the curiosity dive about it right now, while being a beginning practitioner. And that's helping the curiosity dive.
2: Very much. Yeah. But it's it's all like I I love doing stuff outside of play by play because it's nice to remember being completely uncomfortable. I again, it very much is like somebody saying like, oh, man, I just watched The Sopranos. You ever seen that? And it's like, where have you been? (laughs) But then reliving it and like, oh, man, can you believe Tony just did this? I, I yeah. love that. Is, I don't know what that's called, but when somebody is watching a show for the first time, you know they're going to love, that's how yeah. I feel about being in this box with you.
1: That no, that That's perfect. Um, And, and it makes sense because I saw James Fegan, the former White Sox beat writer, now uh, baseball writer for the Sun-Times, in the Wrigley Clubhouse the other day, and he just finished The Sopranos. So we dissected the finale of The Sopranos, standing in the clubhouse, not... Five days ago. So well
2: done. Awesome. Sir. Thanks, Jason. Thanks,
1: Matt. Man, that conversation was so helpful for me personally. I, I got to say, I learned a lot from it too. So much wisdom in there from Benetti that I will take with me for the rest of uh, of my career. Should I ever get a chance to to do it again, um, I want to thank all the people who reached out. Who might be listening during or after the ball games, people who reached out. It was it was so cool. It's like some of my favorite people met in various walks of life through the decades, tuned in or happened to hear the games, and it meant a lot. Greg Cott, who's the brilliant rock critic, used to work for the Tribune. He's the co-host of Sound Opinions, the world's only rock and roll talk show. He said that he and his wife listened on a long drive to Wisconsin. I love that image. Of, uh, of somebody listening on the long drive, because we've all done that with games, right? Um, the great 670, the score audio god, Chris Tannehill, who knows baseball and knows what a calm broadcast is supposed to sound like, he said that that Sunday, after the Cubs scored five runs in the third, he fell asleep, took a baseball nap with the game on, and then woke up for the eighth and ninth inning with me and Elise Meneker bringing him home. I love that. And I want to be so calm that you can sleep to it. It reminds me, by the way, please check out sleepbaseball.com. It is incredibly brilliant, created by a hilarious visionary named Mr. King. Trust me, uh, please check it out, sleepbaseball.com. And thank you to all of the, the listeners and uh, of, of of just of Cubs baseball or listeners of Parkinson Spiegel or this podcast who reached out and told me if they heard any. It, it it means the world. Next week on this show, a man who you know now as the voice of the Chicago Cubs, John Boog Shambi. Boog is the TV voice on Marquee. And used to do Marlins games, used to do Braves games with Chipper Jones sometimes. And then most famously, of course, was an ESPN national play-by-play man on TV and on radio. And still does ESPN national radio on Sunday nights and is the voice of the World Series on the radio. Incredible. Anyway, Boog has become a good friend the last couple years. I, I talked about this podcast with him way before it launched. I can't wait now to finally get him on the record and on the show. My producer is Ryan Porth. Such excellent work all the time from that man. My goodness. My collaborator is James Vickery. Such a thoughtful dude and helpful. The theme music comes from the great Kurt Morrison of Tributosaurus. He really is great. Find the PBP Voices of Baseball on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts from 2400 Sports, Odyssey, and Major League Baseball. The PBP Voices of Baseball. I'll bring you the people who bring you the game.